Wednesday night, and uh, the title of this message is The Battle for Love. Before I get started that, I want to uh, introduce my mom and my dad, Betty and Chad Ainsley. They've come all the way from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. In September, it will be 60 years that my mother uh, bore me. And uh, she has never seen me play harmonica. That was the first time. Wow. And she's never heard me have a chance to deliver this word. So what? I am so blessed today. Amen. So, so blessed. And my mom wasn't supposed to have children. And they told her, forget about it. Her womb was not lined up right. And one day she was at work and she had high heels on. She was walking and she slipped on a curb and fell and her womb went back right. Wow. And she had prayed for two or three years, Lord, I want a big, fat, curly-headed baby. Well, here I am. <laughs> Six years ago, nothing changed. So big, fat, curly-headed. Yeah. Not so curly anymore. Four. Four of them. Yeah, I'm the oldest. There's uh, two, Best looking. Two, yes. <laughs> uh, there's two sisters and a brother in Baton Rouge. But I'm so blessed that my mom is here tonight. Amen. And I'm very blessed as always, to get to stand here because I was talking to a guy today around about a um, crazy thing that's going on that has been assigned to fix an air conditioner in a place that uh, somebody I know needs an air conditioner bad. And the first guy that came to fix the air conditioner uh, took it apart and said, oh, I don't have the right part, walk away. It's like it's 104 degrees, are you crazy? When it was running, it made a noise, but it was running. I don't know, Park got in his air-conditioned truck, left, went to his air-conditioned apartment, and left the people in the house. And everybody got a little upset, so we called for another guy. And so we got this guy, and I've, I got a telephone number. I called him at 6.30 this morning. Got his personal cell phone number. And he said, who are you? I said, I'm the guy with a broken air conditioner, and I really need that air conditioner fixed today. And you've been assigned the air conditioner repair right yet. Yeah. His name is King, Mr. King. So I woke Mr. King up, and he said, it's 6.30 in the morning. I said, yeah, and it's fixing to get hot. It's going to get real hot. I need that air conditioner fixed. Can you fix that air conditioner? Well, yeah, sure. But it's 6.30 in the morning. I said, I know you told me that twice already. Can you fix the air conditioner? He said, yes, I can. So he hung up. He didn't say goodbye or anything. You know, he's hung up. I thought, well, I don't know. He called me later. This guy is a pastor from Uganda. He's a Christian. And he was much more awake. Much more alive. How are you? Yeah, and we talk. And he's so excited we're here. I'm excited. Now he's up on Westheimer at, um, at West Park somewhere up there. He wants us to come visit him. He wants to come visit us. And I told him about our church and how we function. And one of the unusual, wonderful things is on Wednesday night, he said, so when does your pastor preach? I said, well, uh, Sunday, there's always a sermon. And then Monday night, we have church at the pastor's house. It's better than most people get all all the time, all week, and all the month. And then Wednesday, if there's someone in the body that has a word, pastor lets them come up. But if not, pastor likes to teach. He, he's waiting. If we don't have a word, he's ready. And he said, really? I said, yeah. He said, that is really interesting. I've never heard of that. What do you call that? I said, Pastor lets the body preach. <laughs> and uh, it is unusual. It's a, it's a high privilege. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because when you get this word bubbling up in you, and to have an opportunity to share this, you get to see, is this just BBs rolling around in my head? Or am I getting it? And the chances that I've had to deliver this word here to the folks here, people have come to me and said, God's been telling me that. 
Annalie and I had some really good conversations about things and other people here and they would come, Cassidy would come to me, I'd go to Cass and we would share. That hit me right where I needed to be, you know, and so that word is bubbling up. And this word has been really just bubbling up. Um, but you've heard other words lately. Um, Zeke had a word. Uh, it's not about you. That's a good one. It was a good one. Fits right in here. And then some other very good words about battle. And then he and Mike, Mike had a word about clinching, holding, turning, striking. Mike was giving us an object lesson, a physical lesson. He and Zeke, he made Zeke stand up here for a long time. Zeke held out pretty good. And then he gave us a physical demonstration of what battle is, what it means, endurance, why you do it, how you how you fight. And then I was gone last week. John gave a word about the ultimate fighter. And this word, battle for love, has been bubbling up in me. And it touches all this, and all those touched me. I thought Mike was going to preach my word. He's preached about half of it, and then Zeke was hitting all of it. So this is connected up. We are the body. God gives us this to share with each other. I'm really excited about this word. Amen. The battle for love is a battle where there are two opposing forces. Fight means that there are two forces that want to dominate. In our situation, when we got ourselves kicked out of the garden, there's been a force of evil that wants to dominate us and tear us down and destroy us and make sure we never get back to that garden. In a battle, there are weapons. There are warriors, there are people who fight, and there are weapons. There are lots of weapons in this fight. We each learn who we are in the battle, and we each learn how to fight. But then you have to figure, what are the weapons? What am I supposed to fight with? Well, if you look at this right here, this is a shofar, right? This is a weapon. There was a guy, David Samuel, that was here. David Allen. David Allen? Samuel's horn. David Allen. And he is a shofar blower, and they would not let him. He was arrested for blowing his shofar at the abortion clinic. And they would not let him bring this into court. They said, that's a weapon. He said, yes, it is. You just don't know why. You just don't know how. But I'll let you keep it for me. And then the judge made him bring it up. And everybody in the courtroom, every time he picked it up to show him what he was doing and got him arrested, they freaked out because they thought he was going to hit somebody with it. Does this look like you'd pick this up and hit somebody? Not really. But David Allen knew what this weapon would do. And he would rip loose in that, in that courtroom. And it just set a lot of people back, changed a lot of people's hearts, made some people very, very angry. Made them mad because they did not like the sound of our battle cry. It's going to split down the middle. You're on one side or the other. As the famous Jewish poet and rabbi Bob Dylan once said, <laughs> you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, and it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. He got that part right. He knew that much. This is an amazing thing. Okay, so this, a little bitty goat is born. And on the little bitty goat's head, he gets little nubs on his head. Anybody ever seen a little baby goat? Oh, yeah. They're so cute. They jump around. They butt heads on each other. And 
rub their head on trees and sides of houses, anything they can get to get those horns to grow. It's like it's cutting teeth or something for them. And so they grow into this. One day, this beautiful piece of uh, whatever this is, I, I don't know what you call this, cartilage, I don't know what this is. Solid. Is it compressed hair? Solid. And so it grows into their solid little head. And at some point, there's a battle where two big rams with these horns on their head square off for the right to have a female to bear their children. And so they rear back and they aim at each other and they charge and hit each other in the head till one of them gives up. And these horns are right in the middle of the battle. One of them gives up. One of them wins the right to father the kids. And then when that animal has served its purpose, this horn is then cut off of its head to take and to use for this. But to get this horn ready, you have to carve out all of the flesh that's inside of it. All the flesh has to be carved away to get what's left, which is compressed and hardened and ready for another battle, where then the breath of the Holy Spirit through a human being and put lips to this thing and blow it sounds an alarm that says the king of kings is coming and he will win the battle for the right to bear his children and to protect his children and he has that right and he will keep that right and this will signal his arrival and Eric's been teaching about this that day when that day comes it won't be quiet won't be dark everyone will see they'll want to run and hide if they don't like God and they'll be gloriously happy if they do when they hear the shofar blow and Jesus comes to take his family home. Amen. And and when I say take them home, I mean set up their home here Amen. on this earth. So here's a weapon you might not normally think of unless you're a bailiff in the court in Houston. But there's another kind of weapon that's talked about a lot in the Bible. And that weapon is a sword. So... We're reading, uh, I'm reading a little a book, I just read a little book, it's Natalie, I think Natalie's finished with it now. It's about a young boy, about three or four years old, who died on an operating table. And he, <laughs> this amazing book, we're going to put it in the library, I think, after Moloch's have finished reading it. And it's in there now. And so get this book. So this kid, they asked this little fellow, so how long are you going? He goes, three minutes. You ought to see what this kid did and heard and saw and talked to Jesus for three minutes. But he always loved to play with his swords. He had a sword. He had two or three swords on him at all times. He was always fighting imaginary battles with his swords before he ever got hurt and went to the hospital and died in the operating table and came back. And so when his parents are talking to him about, you know, easy, going at it very easily with his little child, how did this, what happened when you saw Jesus and what did he say to you? And they were talking to him and his mom was kidding him and she said, well, one thing I bet they didn't have swords in heaven because she's thinking, we've got lasers and stuff, so that was way back in the day. They probably got a lot better than swords because we got all this other stuff, you know. And he looked at her and got real serious. He said, no, mom, he's four years old. No, mom, Jesus has got a sword. Everybody's got a sword in heaven. They're gathered waiting to come back. And she said, really? He said, yeah. And in a day that's going to come, we're all going to get our swords and chase that devil down. Kill him. 
Amen. Dad, dad, I saw you there. You're going to chase him. Dad's a pastor in a Methodist church. And dad's going, whoa. Kid was dead serious, though. Well, so Jesus comes back with a sword. We read that. The word, the breath of his mouth, and his sword. He's not kidding around. That sword is going to cut some stuff up. But what, you know, I was going to get Zeke and Mike to come up here. I got a machete and an old sword. Get him to kind of do a little sword fight, and it would get all kill Bill up in here. So I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But, but what, so I don't have a physical, I don't have a, a physical prop to no use. No reason to decrease the population in the church. Yeah, yeah we have we have front blood spot. So, so you think about it though. Where is our sword? What is our sword? What are we going to use? My sister Terry just held hers up. My brother there is holding his up. Everybody, hold up your sword. You got your sword? Yeah. Yeah. Good, because you're going to need it. We're going to take a romp. We're going to take a rundown sword out of here, and this is going to be good. There's a battle going on. We have declared battle against our enemy. We have an enemy. We went to India to steal from him. He stole from us. Eric said, we're going to steal from you. We're going to the Valley of the Snakes. We're going to steal people. We're going to steal lives that you wanted to destroy. We've been going to Mexico. We go this and that. We do this and that. We work hard. We try everything we know how to do to do this right. Everything we know. And we have declared war. We have an enemy. Well, he's got people that work for him. So it should be no surprise. If you are going to attack your enemy, you don't tell them when, although we do. We tell them, hey, we're coming. Better get ready. Well, he sends his people in the dark. He sends his people when we are not here. And they run through the building. And they run on the ceilings. And they fall through the ceilings. And they make messes on the floor or burn stuff. And then they don't take stuff. They just knock stuff around and leave. But there's somebody who sent them. Somebody that they work for that they're in the control of a dark evil. Those people we need to pray for. We need to know those people. We need to get our sword out, our sword of the word. We need to find a way to chop the binds away from those people that the evil ones sent here to hurt us, even though they don't know it. And so it's no mistake that Eric and Matt are coming back from Mexico where they went to perform a wedding. There's a wedding coming where Jesus comes to get his bride. And the enemy does not want that. He will do everything to stop it. So what does he do? While our brothers are witnessing to a waitress, he steals their sword. He steals the guitar. He steals the Bible. He steals the computer. He stole their swords. What do we do when somebody steals our brother's sword? We rush to them and we give them a fresh sword. This is not going to happen. This enemy is not going to Stop this. We have come too far. We have pledged our lives. I say we. It's an honor to follow two men who have. And we will not be turned around. And I have a sword. Amen. And I will beat him upside the head with this. Amen. But let me just tell you a little story. Real quick. Where God really put this message that I have tonight in my head. This time last year. A lot of you know, I was in the middle of this oil spill over in, I was in Pascagoula, Mississippi. There were four states involved in that oil spill. They divided each state into two parts. There were eight parts to the area of operations. I had one-eighth of that oil spill. I had a 26-mile coastline, two islands, 
and some of the most beautiful marsh in the world. And I, I don't know where you were, but every day I would sit there and look out at that beach and look out on that water, and all I knew from the television feed that I'd seen is that pipe is out there spitting out oil, and they can't stop it. You know? That's all I could see every day. I had an enemy that was so big and so overwhelming, it dwarfed any of my training that I'd ever had. I had trained for 10 years with a group of very dedicated people, about 215 people of all kinds of disciplines, but we trained real hard. And we were just thrown to the wind, 215 people. And eventually it was like 45,000 people working in this. And we were just dispersed like leaves in the wind all over the place. We trained together, but we weren't together. And I was standing there, and I was the only one of that 215 standing there. And in our company, there's a guy who's an A, right? He's an A level. And then there's about four or five B guys. And then there's a bunch of C's and then D's and E's, F's on down, right? 110,000 people, so that's how it's structured. Well, there's not many C's in there. So I'm sitting in Pascagoula, Mississippi, watching this oil, wondering what it's going to come and what am I going to do, and starting to get kind of scared. When this guy, a C-level guy, well, he didn't think things were going fast enough, so he pulled the trigger on 2,500 people, and he guess where he sent them? To my zip code. One place. He sent 2,500 people. Two heavy mechanized divisions of 900 people each with all their boats and vacuum trucks and all their laborers and all this stuff. Then they hired all the thugs from where I was and brought them in to clean up oil. And the oil just sat out there. Nobody else had this. I had it. I had 2,500 people and all this stuff in my back. My enemy's sitting out there and it won't come ashore. And I know it's coming. And when it comes, it's going to be bad. And I started to get this knot in the pit of my stomach. Because I thought, I went to establish this base. And somebody a lot bigger and smarter than me is going to come take this over. I'm building a footprint. Somebody's going to come take this over. They didn't come. I wonder why. They were watching television. This was going to be bad. There's no promotional value in this. <laughs> Let's just let him stay there. He was trained. It started to really kind of freak me out. It's like, seriously, really? Who is the guy who sent me these 2,500 people? I got to feed them, secure them, give them medical. They were falling out left and right from the heat. I got to feed them. Who is this guy? I want to talk to this guy. They wouldn't let me near him. No, can't talk to him. I said, tell him, turn the faucet off, stop. Don't send any more people. So I'm freaking out about this point. And then something inside my head snapped. Remember your training. Remember your training. Stop. When you get panicked, when you get freaked out, remember your training. What did you learn? Ten years, what did you learn? Okay. Got it. Incident command system. We're going to start from the top. There's one chief. There's one deputy. It's all the departments. Everything down. Everything back up. No freelancing. Got it. And we set about and we formed it up. We had 2,500 people marching in step, lockstep. We had a strong organization. When the oil finally hit in 23, 26 days, we were ready, more than ready. We were really good. Well, all that happened to me. And that's in the past. That happened. And I was standing right here the other day during worship. Matthew had brought everything down. And Matthew gets 
in tune with the Holy Spirit. And then Matt will do whatever the Spirit, he feels led that the Spirit wants. And he said, would somebody quietly, you remember this probably, would somebody here please read to me from Romans 6? 12. 12. Romans 12. A small voice came up right over here, looked up, it was Joy. She had her hands in the air. She spoke Romans 12 from memory. He asked, would somebody read it? And Joy put up her little hands and spoke it quietly, but then her voice gained measure and it gained strength. And then when she got to the end of it, she prophesied. She remembered it from her heart. She had buried that word in her heart. She let it go when she was asked, and then she prophesied. And I'm standing right here, and the Holy Spirit said to me, when he showed me this whole big picture that I took so many minutes to tell you, he said, why don't you put your my word in your heart the way you put that other word in your heart? And I'm like, what other word? And he brought it back to me. When you panicked, when you were fearful, when you had to stand your ground, and you planted your feet and you said, I got it. My training, my training has to kick in. It did. Why don't you put my word in your heart so that you can do what that little lady just did? Man. You see, because he was right, my training kicked in. And it worked. It really worked. We were very successful in what we did. You never saw it on TV, but we were very successful. You never heard that. We were all miserable, horrible people. But we did stuff that's still they're writing about, like, what happened here? How did that happen? It's because some guy put 2,500 people down our throat, and we forget. We remembered our training. But why, why does the Bible say, what does the Word say to hide this Word in your heart? Why do you hide things? They're valuable. Somebody wants to steal this from you. They want to steal, destroy. They will steal your stuff. Ask these guys. I'm going to get Eric a t-shirt giving crackheads Bible since 2008 or something. I mean, this is unbelievable. Another computer, another Bible. I just, watching these guys bear up under this uh, is amazing. So, God's going to take care of this other morning. So that lit me up, and uh, I have I have rededicated myself to do what God told me to do right there because God tells you these things in a timely fashion, a timely manner, because there's something coming. I do not want to stand there looking at this horde of enemy coming and not remember this word. He just gave me this huge, perfect example. You saw how that worked? Well, you better get busy because you're not. You will fail. I didn't fail in the other stuff, but I can't say that I know this word good enough not to fail right now. I bet all of us really are coming to that position. Eric knows it the best of all of us in here. We kind of know it. Some some people know it a lot. Brandon's got a really good memory. He's going to be a great uh, worship leader someday. I mean, a lot of folks in here have great possibilities and talents. This young man does, for sure. But we have to make the effort to take the training to take it to heart. So I want to I just go through some stuff with you tonight. Got your sword ready? Amen. Alright. So I'm going to throw out some for instances 
And we're gonna, I've got some verses here that if this happened, this is the verse I would go to. I'd like you to tell me what your sword is. Because we used to carry these three by five index cards with us. And we had all these things to in our Bible. I still got mine. To strengthen us. And we would write our own cards and we would read them. We'd read them all day. If we were struggling, we had a problem. So this is that kind of thing. I'm gonna pull my sword out. When I see something sticking up on my family, I'm gonna whip it. But I gotta have some gotta have some blade here. So let's just say well, Steve, what about when someone's rude to me? And then maybe they even say they're a Christian and they're really rude. Like, I'm at the supermarket and they grab my buggy and say, you need to put your buggy up at the whole paycheck. <laughs> and I'm a Christian and that's why I'm doing this. What do you do? Who has a sword for that? Yes, sir. Uh, Romans 12, 17. Do not repay in, uh, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. How did you learn that, Dustin? Knowing the Word. Yeah, and because maybe somebody's been rude to you? Yeah. And so you've got that in your heart. You went right to it. Mine would be the Lord washed the disciples' feet. You've got to wash the person who's rude to you in love. Now I'm preaching to me because I don't know. A while back, I had you know people that know me here for a while. I had this boss who was a real tough guy. Well, I got a new boss, and he had not been a boss. He was a peer, and then he got promoted to a boss, and four of us went under. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. This guy has taken the old boss's very worst habits and decided that's the way to be a champion. And man, this guy, and I thought it was me. I thought, oh God, I do this to people. I have made another, I've done, it's me, it's not the boss, this is the second one doing this. This is me, I'm so slovenly and lazy and stupid. What is wrong with me? And then I got some calls from my teammates. What happened to this guy? He drank the Kool-Aid. What? What was going on? I said, I thought it was me. They go, no, he's driving us crazy too. So I get a chance every day, all day, this guy's beating me like a drum. I get a chance to not rear up, not show him how right I am because I am. But I can't do that with him. I, I actually know what I'm doing, and he doesn't really know a lot about what I do, but he's the boss. I have to wash him. I have to bathe him in love and respect. And God tells me in the end that's going to win. That's not going to make me feel real good, maybe right there. It's a little difficult, a little uncomfortable. But God's showing me. And man, I'm telling you, I'm watching this guy, and he doesn't know what's hitting him. And I'm watching. I, and I mean, he's got me like, he's got these hard, sharp deadlines and all these repercussions, and God will just take him and move him. And I'm watching him, thinking, he's trying to figure out what happened here. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you. Heaven opens up, a little sunshine comes through. I hear birds, harps. But I'm watching this. So I'm preaching to me. In John 13, 34, 5, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, this guy came to our church. I invited him. He came one time his wife. Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm front and center. I got nowhere to go. I gotta be whatever God says I need to do, or it's gonna ruin my witness to this guy. But Steve, 
this is what my brother did to me. Now, I know I need to forgive him, but this is so hard to overlook. My old church did this. My new church did that. A church I heard about, whatever. What are you going to do? I like this. This is really good. Peter was really a knockhead sometimes. He came to Jesus. He had this set up. He said, Jesus, Lord, and he's probably looking right at the guy. He's standing with Jesus. He's looking right at the guy. He's talking about, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the king of, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought in. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. We are all that man. We are all that person. We, don't, we can't pay our debt. Jesus paid it. What right do we have? It's not about you, Christy. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus wants to do. You take your sword, this word, when you hear that one, and you stick this sword right into its heart. There goes my pen. Right into its heart. And you kill it. You don't let that whining stay. Don't let your brother feel... Thank you so much. Don't let your brother feel like they have to complain and whine about this stuff. Stab that word right in his heart. That dark, evil thing that wants to take your joy and take your love. Take that word and stab it right in your heart. Twist it. But Steve, I'm not good enough to be whatever. Those other people are really good. I'm not. I'm not that good. I'm just not that good. I, I you know, I wasn't raised right. You know, I, I just don't know if I get the whole thing. I, I don't know if I can do all that. Take this word and stab that demon right in the heart. Who tells somebody that? Because God says. Then on the sixth day, God saw all that He made, and it was very good. That was the day He made man. And He said, You are very good. The Lord of the universe, the God of all, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit say, You are very good. And we don't act very good all the time. We don't always act that way. But we have to start somewhere. And a good place to have a good self-image is to know that my Father says, He thinks it's very good that I'm here. And he's looking out for me, and that's good enough for me. You take this word, somebody thinks that, you stab this word right into that thought and tell them, no, you are everything to the Lord. That's why he put you here. But Steve, I just don't have enough time, money, faith, intelligence, strength to do what I believe God wants me to do. It's funny, but the word time shows up 5,026 times in the United Wow. Yeah, time. Then you look up, type in time. Boy, it takes forever. It says, you've gone over 5,000. You still want to look. Yeah, there's 26 more. And I don't have enough money. God wants you to understand that it's not about quantity. It's about the quality of what you're, you're giving to Him. He doesn't really... This all belongs to Him. What He wants to see is, what is your heart? Do you want to give what you have? It doesn't matter how much. Start with a little. But it's what you're, it's what's in your heart and how you give, whatever you give. You give a popsicle stick or a million dollars. God wants to know what you want. And then He wants to join with you if your will is His will, if His will is your will. 
But if you sit back and make excuses that you can't, you don't, and I, you know, they did this and that, it will, this will kill you. This will constrict your life and strangle your joy. Jesus said, my, my way is easy. My burden is light. I'm beginning to understand. I don't have to hold on to all those things. I can just take my sword and cut those vines that come around me. Cut those things away from me that tell me I'm not good enough, or I don't have what it takes, or I don't have enough of it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I have everything I need. He gave me everything I'll ever need, and I'll give it back to him, and then he gives it back in a way I can never do. Amen. And listen, I'm telling you, I'm living this right now. I'm living this right now. But Steve, other people seem to have all this gifting, and I don't seem to have anything. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I'm good for. Really? I got a question for you. Because the same question I asked me the other day when I was standing over here. How much have you applied yourself? Really, how much have we applied ourselves to television, sports, Cars, clothes, movies, video, music. Where's the room for the word? This is my problem. This is my dilemma. I've been smothered by stuff that doesn't work. I wonder who sent that to me. It must be the enemy that wants me to die. Because it wasn't God. God gives me every good thing. So if I chose, I, God's just sitting there waiting to give me every good thing. But I'm going, hey, I'm just going to listen to this music a little bit. Oh, wait, I want to read this. I want to watch that. I want to run over here and do this and that. Where's time for God? Got to make it. So, you want a gift? I'm reading a book right now. God's got me drawn to this Azusa Street Revival. Man, I'm reading this book. It's just lighting me up. You would not believe the choices that those people made that affect us today how we worship and what we do. They made some serious choices that this had not been poured out since the day of Pentecost. And it started just kind of sparking, sparking in Houston. Chicago and Houston are big time in here. And over in North Carolina, there was a little bit. There was a little here and a little there. And people were talking about it. I want to know more about these gifts. I want to know about these tongues. I want to know more about this. And it was this one guy, William Seymour, who came to Houston. And there was a, a white guy teaching this, and William Seymour was a black guy, and they made him sit out in the hall. He couldn't sit inside. He had to sit out in the hall and listen. And he did that for about six or eight months, most of a year, trying to learn. And this guy loved him, this guy named Parnum in Texas. And Parnum's vision for Mr. Seymour was to take all this to the African-American in Texas. That was his vision. That wasn't Holy Spirit's vision. Somebody called William Seymour and said, I'm, I'm going to go to Africa and be a missionary. Come take over my church. He goes, okay. He gets on a train and goes out there. and It's like 15 people. It's okay. So they start talking about this gifting. He brings everything he's learned. He's talking about it. And they're all like, how does that work, you know? And then they seriously want, they desire this. They seriously desire this. They would meet in the houses and they would sit around the table. And one day this guy had been sick all day at work, but he would not miss this meeting there in the kitchen of this place with about 15, 20 people coming over. And it was just getting better and better. And, he, and they said, Brother, are you okay? He said, I'm a little sick. A little sick tonight. Been sick all day. He looked at Seymour and said, how about you lay hands on me and pray for me and heal me? Seymour said, okay. Went over, touched that guy. The guy fell out on the floor. They thought he died. They thought he was dead. Fell out on the floor and then went speaking in tongues. Everybody in there went, Whoa! 
this, we just heard it. This is the first time this is, we've been reading about this, and look what happened. He sincerely desired this healing and the presence of the Lord. And he, and all of a sudden, these people have been reading this and meeting and talking about it. My gosh, look at this guy. So the next one was a lady who worked as a food server, and she was serving at a big dinner, and somebody asked her something. She broke out in tongues. She went, blah, 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 and everybody went, what did she say? And she went, oh, got to go. And she put the food down, took her apron off, and ran. Went home and told everybody. Then the whole neighborhood caught fire. Oh, man, this is here. It's here. And it took off from there. But they sincerely desired this. Amen. They let no distraction. They had no money. They were so poor. They sincerely desired this. And you need to read about what happened to them. They swam in God's presence. Has it been like that before? Has it been like that since? But that guy, William Seymour, prophesied in about 100 years it would happen again. And Houston seems to keep popping up very prominently in all this stuff. Look where we are. Look where we are, folks. Look where we've been drawn to. The precious metals that are being drawn from the earth to be polished here. We're being polished here. This is a precious time, like Eric's been saying. The devil's trying to steal it. I am the chief of the, of the sinners and putting my head everywhere else but right here. Please forgive me, Lord, for not picking up my sword. This is not about me. This is what you want. And like Mike said, when you said, Lord, please take my life. Lord, I am a rotten sinner. Father, please change me. And He did. He filled you with the Holy Spirit. He changes people. When he did that, you signed up for the battle. Whether you knew it or not, you signed up for the battle. So get ready. Get some training. Follow other people that want to learn how to wield this sword. This is a wonderful time and a wonderful place that we're in for wielding a sword. And I promise you, I'm going to get stronger in this because I know God has a calling on us together. Yes. And I don't want to be the guy that's looking at the enemy coming going, oh man, oh man, I didn't hide enough in my heart. I didn't do it. What am I going to do? I want to be the guy that says, hey, 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 Romans 12. I want to be the guy when my brother says, man, I can't hardly take anymore. Somebody, somebody, what do you have saved up in your heart? And I have something that the Holy Spirit, that I've been saving for that time because the Holy Spirit knew my brother would need it, my sister would need it. And it comes pouring out of me and they go, oh, thank God. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, thank you, Lord. And and that's it's all worth it. And this is one me and Jay have to work with all the time. But Steve, nobody gets this whole landscape. <laughs> Jay's laughing. I asked Jay to come tonight because my brother, I feel real close to my brother, and I'm just so excited for him. God's got this plan for this young man. His heart is so big. He is a warrior, and he needs to be around other warriors. There are some really good warriors here. I love being around them. And you have a sincerely important place in all this. And God sent me to give you a word that I gave you the other day, that your days of fighting with your fist and your anger and your emotions are over. Because he's got a new way for you to fight. And see, that's the same thing you did then. He smiled. Oh, he says, God, thank you. Because he wasn't really having a good time with that old fight. <laughs> he was, he's game though, man. Kid's game. He'll go try. But he realized, oh, there's another way to fight. Oh, yeah, I like this. Because he can't stand to see people hurt. He can't stand to see anybody abuse children or animals and things. He steps into the Bible thing. Now he has a new way to fight. I have a new brother. So, 
you're starting. I need to start over. And together, we are going to take this sword, this mighty sword that people have died to give us. There's blood across the history of this world where people have died. Well, you know what? If it happened for them, it's not over. We will face persecution. So this is this is creeping into this society every day. It's getting very, very strong. It's starting to rear its head. This enemy is starting to show itself. It's been hidden. No, you can't let the children pray. We don't know who said that. It's just a bunch of nameless people who make rules someplace. No, you can't have a nativity scene out front of the town hall at Christmas. We don't know who they are. But the other day, at Arlington Cemetery, the director of Arlington Cemetery, this lady told people that were there for a service for a fallen veteran on Veterans Day, you cannot use the words God or Jesus in your prayers in this cemetery. It's forbidden. In fact, if you want to pray, you have to write it all out for me and I have to approve it before you're allowed to pray. Yeah, there's some people still alive from World War II that have joined together to sue her. They said we didn't fight and lose all our friends at Iwo Jima. Guadalcanal, Berlin, for you to tell us that we can't say the word God. In fact, we'll say it anywhere we want, anytime we want, and Jesus is our Lord. Well, well guess what, folks? It's coming to us. We have a we have a many sided thing going on here. We have uh, people who are being trained for ministry, for worship. We have parents who are raising children who will be worshipers and who will be warriors, who will be pastors and ministers of this word. We have people like myself, Bob Cook. We have people here who we are at a certain part of our life, Charlie, Mike, Fred. I mean, we're at a certain part of our life where we want to do this right. We are, we're, like Gary says, Eric's dad, we're in the fourth quarter, and we want to do this right. We want to support all of this stuff that's going on. And there's so much going on. And at the heart of this, the very heart of all of this, is our willingness and our ability to do what Joy did. So at some point, on a given day, at a given time, it won't be the devil that asks you for that word. It's going to be your brother, your sister. It's going to be the Lord, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now that's worth, that's worth the work. That's worth the effort. There's some of you here who will preach to thousands. Hundreds of thousands. There's some of you here who will see many, many miracles before your eyes that you can't even imagine right now. But if we don't take this step and do better than me, if you don't do better than me, where I'm willing to sit for 10 years and study something about oil spills and then pull it off and not be able to to quote Romans 12 when my brother asked me to, I'm not hitting on anything. So I have rededicated myself. And it's the most amazing thing. So I'm trying to turn off everything else. I'm picking up this word and it's jumping off the pages at me. You know? <laughs> you know, it, 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 once you dedicate yourself to it, then the Lord makes a way for it to come into your heart. And then he makes a way for you to remember it. Because it means something. So tonight, I'm so glad that I'm with a group of people who I love, who love me, who love my family, who are willing to carry this sword as far as it takes them, as far as it has to take to go, 
It's not heavy. It's not a burden. It's a joy. It's a gift. It's an honor. Everything in here is true. Everything in here brings glory to the one who gave it to us. And it's not about you. I love that. It's about Jesus. And you know what? Come steal my truck. Come steal my guitar. Come steal my computer. You done picked on these guys enough. Come steal mine. Come steal my stuff. I will yell at your face. You will not take me. I used to say in my bragging way, Lord, I'll attack the gates of hell with a butter knife if you tell me to. What an idiot. What a stupid person to say that. You can't attack the gates of hell with a butter knife, moron. You can only you can only utter this word when the Holy Spirit gives you presence to do it. And you're speaking into people's lives. You're speaking into your life. You're speaking into the world. You are repairing the world. You were called upon, you were raised up at this time to repair the world. Everything else comes in a distant second. Everything else is a dim memory. And nothing else that you do will be written into the Lamb's Book of Life, I believe, except what He told you to do and what did you do with it. And that's what I'm focused on and that's what I have to keep my focus on. And if you will help me, I love you, I need your help. And if I can help you, I love you, I will help you anywhere I can. And we, together, we can do this. We can do this. Thank you very much. Brother Steve couldn't have touched on a better subject. I can't tell you how important it is that we develop in this church a culture and an attitude that is dependent upon the Word. He called him an immortal uh, words of Bob Dylan, the Jewish prophet. You're going to have to serve someone. The reality is our words belie who it is that we serve in our moments of difficulty. John preached last Wednesday and he mentioned a message called Krav Maga. God bless John. I'm glad he remembers it. I don't. But I did remember the definition of Krav Maga. It was continuous fighting motion. And I know that when you are in contact with the enemy, conflict with the enemy, you move from battle to battle to battle. And as many of the messages have brought out lately, that battle most likely takes place in the 10-inch space between your heart and your mind. In the last few days, uh, words like this one, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even tempered. Have come to me in moments where I needed to be silent and think. Um, opportunities where careless things were said. The proverb comes to me. I don't always know where the number is, but I definitely know the word. It says, a man's patience gives him wisdom. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Friends, this is no different than two Kung Fu masters sparring. The devil is looking for a place. Christianity is a contact sport. And if you've not experienced that yet, it's likely because you sit on the sidelines. But as you venture out into the game, as you venture out into the life and death stakes, it hurts. It has real... I'm just curious. Does anybody know about how many people died in the Civil War? Half a million. Uh, anybody got a guess for Vietnam? 
upwards of 50,000. Yeah, 70-something, including the missing. I don't know about World War One and Two. Maybe you guys might know. The Bible describes this as a battle of their casualties. Their casualties. Charlie, how many people did you start this race with that when you look around, they're not here? More than we'd like to admit. The difference between those who make it and those who don't is the reliance upon the Word. And that's what God's impressing on Brother Steve. It's what He's impressing on us. And when we say that sometimes, I think you, you feel threatened with this strange academic pressure. Friends, Jesus never quoted a chapter and verse. They didn't exist. Never. He simply said, is it not written? Uh, I'm fine with you not knowing a chapter and verse, but you must know what it says. And don't be deceived. You can't know what it says if you're not hiding it in your heart. You're not reading it. Uh, every day I fall short in this area and I'm striving for more because there's pressures upon me that I have to be ready for that. But what's the difference between me and you? There's none. There's none in that regard. This is how that works. Uh, Brother Steve mentioned Jesus' return. So let us turn to Revelation 17. I want to show you what His return looks like. Now go to 19, because I misquoted it. Is it not written? I have been studying Revelation 17 lately. I have a new revelation in it, but that one's not ready for the pulpit, and this one is. This is Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. Not pancakes. <laughs> not uh, butter knives. He makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is... What's his name, church? Word of God. We can call him Jesus, but when we speak the word, we are speaking his name, his character, his authority, his reputation, his body of work. How many of you know that nobody overcomes like Jesus? You are accessing him, his character, his reputation, his body of work by using his word. When we pray and say, in the name of Jesus... This is not a magic phrase like abracadabra. It's not some incantation. What we're saying is, in the authority of Him who taught me these words, am I using them? By His character, by His reputation, His right standing, am I here today? The armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, linen white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the King that we serve. He's also called the Lord of Hosts, the Commander of the Lord's Armies. 
king of the universe told Jeremiah that he would be his war club. In the NIV it says battle axe. Friends, we are supposed to be a tool in this hand. And that is what we strive for, but the place to start with is at least learn to defend yourself. At least learn to defend yourself. Not every thought you have is a right one. Not every choice you make comes from God, and not every fluttering feeling that you have is the leading of the Holy Ghost. Friends, we, we need to learn to weigh our words. We need to learn to meditate on the situation. And when I say meditate, I don't mean some strange uh, oriental philosophy. Meditation in the Bible is to speak the Word of God back to yourself as you pray over and over and over. So that the Word can shed light upon your path. We're harassed, confused, tired, and weak for one reason. Apathy has stolen her desire for this book. Every once in a while, something comes along, like the theft of one that I'm getting comfortable with. And I promise you, day after I get that Bible, I will have read more of it than I have in the last couple of years since I got the last one in a single day. Because you suddenly feel inadequate. You feel unprepared. You feel vulnerable. I don't like those feelings. I want to be prepared. Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved. Sometimes people will ask me, and the other night was one of them, a guy who was my age, we were in marriage counseling, and he doesn't go to this church, and said, where did you learn this stuff? You know, Like surely there's some secret school hidden under my house that is spinning <laughs> these things out. He said, I haven't said anything tonight that anybody with, with a 7th grade education can't read out of the NIV Bible. No, not anybody. Or King James if you prefer. But you won't understand it unless you get another translation. I'm sorry, I'm teasing. I read something. The, the King James is a universally accepted translation. So for that reason, that's an awesome thing. Um, wherever it is, it was originally spoken in Hebrew and Greek, and you need to figure out what it's saying to you. Amen. Amen. So let's stand on our feet. We'll pray. I think this was a good service, a good word from Steve, good worship. Uh, I don't know how your weeks have gone. Mine are a little battle-weary. But if you're ever discouraged with that, if you and Christopher Christopherson are singing the Why Me song, you know, you know who that is. Huh? That's good for you. Before he was in movies like Blade, he used to be a country singer. Um and he had a small Christian face. It didn't last. Uh, like so many don't. Neither did Bob Dylan. Yeah. But if, if you find yourself resistant, you find yourself in the normal Christian life. If people around you that you love suddenly seem to not be able to say anything right, they're aided by a supernatural power. <laughs> if you can't get anything right all of a sudden, it's because... There's a supernatural power working against you. This is the normal Christian state. But it's not about what is pressing from the outside on us. It's what's waiting to be released from the inside out. I want to encourage you that this Bible will make you smarter than you already are. It will make you better looking than you already are. I mean, if you if you want to get Americans to do something, tell them to make them look pretty. We spend more money on cosmetics than most nations have to feed their people. Why will it make you better looking? Because the words of God make you 
radiant and give life to the bones. Amen. 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 What goes in? It will make you pure and heart unmixed with what is around you. And as an 18-year-old kid, stupid beyond belief, some of you were there, you absolutely can testify that that's true. Three months after I'd been fighting in a parking lot and coming home with scuffs and scrapes and stitches and all of those things, I knew things that people who were 50 and 60 years old found shocking. And they only came from the Word. It will grow you up. It's not a matter of being condemned or feeling ashamed that you don't. It's a matter of finding the initiative that God can bless, giving Him something to work with. So we're going to pray for that for you. I want to tell you that the day is coming when you meet anybody from this church, the first question out of their mouth ought to be, hey man, what have you been reading? Lay something on me. Tell me something good. We've built those communities before and that's where we're headed. And you will find yourself on the outside of Jesus' own clique when you have nothing to offer. And that won't be because anybody's trying to exclude you. It will be because you have said, pass, I don't find Jesus that interesting. Please, let's not let, let it be us. You have more to talk about from this word. You know there's snake bites, shipwrecks. There's, I showed you some married scriptures in here that will blow your mind if you're married. I mean, there's no telling what is in this word. It is unbelievable. It's a discovery every day. But you have to embrace it. Am I telling the truth, Mario? I've watched that family and their children and their relationship change as much as anybody I've ever known for one reason. It's not that they hear our preaching. It's not that they sit under our teaching. It's that they go home and read when we're done. 100% of the time, that family reads chapters every night. And it has literally changed their marriage, changed their children, changed... Now, all of the relatives send their children to their house for the summer and they take them. And we're happy to have you, Donovan, Hopi, Jayla, everybody else. And they take them. Because where the Word of God is dwelling, it puts everything in shalom and right order. It's the first thing Jesus does. People are drawn to it with a, a, a magnetism. They can't help it. Bob, amen, is that true? Amen. Yeah. Bob's building a, a whole community under one roof. We're going to have to get you guys buses. You'll find people traveling from states away to come stay with you just because they want to be somewhere where people are talking the Word of God. So turn off your TV sets. Get rid of your radios. We can we can wait to criticize Obama till tomorrow, right? Or whatever it is that you do. That's a pastime in my house, unfortunately. <laughs> And it will give you a chance to renew your mind. Pay all kind of money to try to get wrinkles out of your face. We have a chance to renew our very being. Let's take advantage of it. I want to tell you, as your pastors, Matthew and I went to Mexico tired, worked very, very hard, and came back refreshed. And it wasn't because we rested. It's because it was uninterrupted time to talk the Word, to do what it says, to repent to uh, uh, reaffirm, to do all of the... We swung sledgehammers in Mexico. But I would rather do that talking about the Word of God than to have to sit around with a bunch of lazy people that have no interest in it that want to be entertained. And that's not who you are. That's not why God called you here. But we need your help. We need your help. 
I need when I hear from you, when I talk to you, for maybe the first thing you tell me is not the most devastating thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, but how about a good scripture that puts it in perspective first? You know? I, I bet if you look around, there's not a person standing around you that would not be benefited by scripture coming from your mouth to their ears. Brandon, did you enjoy the time that you lived in our home? Did you learn? Did you learn? Did you learn from what we did right and wrong? Yes. Yeah, everything in the Stephen's home is dictated by what the Word says. And if we don't know, and sometimes they'll call me on it. So that's not what it says. I'm getting old. I don't remember everything. <laughs> this is why we need each other. Amen? Amen? He'll be forming his own household. And I could confidently tell the people involved in that process, it'll be formed on the Word of God. That's where his authority comes from. Let's take our stand together. Go. Y'all hold arms, lock arms, hold hands, something. There's something worse than an oil spill headed our way. It's what the Bible calls a great apostasy. The first human being that was deceived was deceived because she did not know God's Word adequately. Let's not be the less next masses that are. And get rid of that saying that says, Oh, I know it, it's in my heart. If you can't get any of it to come out of your mouth, it's not in your heart. Let's just be honest. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Mighty God, we thank You. We thank You for these kind of jarring words. Lord, I've had an aggressive streak lately. People around me are warning me that I'm too intense. I feel Your shields rattling me, Your swords clanking, saying, prepare yourself for war. And yet, Lord, we want to be as gentle as doves and wise as serpents. Lord, let your congregation hear your spirit saying, prepare yourself. Let them have the courage to take initiative, to begin the process, to humble themselves, ask for help, and begin the process. Lord, I ask you would bless their efforts. When I knew absolutely nothing, you caused me to retain your word in supernatural ways. Lord, I ask that your spirit of grace would be upon us to learn the word. Let your character be in us. Don't let us play church the way people play house, Lord. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.